Amen. Thank you so much, children. I appreciate you singing from your heart tonight and being willing to be used of God. And such a convicting song, but a a powerful song, an encouraging song. God has left us here for such a time as this. And as we've mentioned throughout this week, no life is an accident, mistake, a whoops, or an uh-oh. But by divine design, God has given you and me the gift of life and what a privilege it is to be able to live for Jesus Christ. You know, you stop and you think about various individuals and even uh, church movements throughout history, and you stop and you think, oh, wow, what it must have been like to hear a Shubal Stearns preach or a D.L. Moody preach or to meet a Florence Nightingale or an Amy Carmichael or a Billy Sunday or various people, even a George Washington, man of God, that was used as the father of this country in establishing this nation and the freedoms that we get to enjoy. Born-again Christian, passion about a walk with God, a reading the Bible and seeking the Lord and fervent private prayer and what a privilege it would have been to have met those individuals but do you realize that they had their moment when God would have them to exist and live and breathe and die you know God did not select or allow those men to live in this hour he chose you and me God knows what's best because he's omniscient And I believe that God allowed these various individuals to live when they did because God knew that they would be more effective in his work at that time and period in history rather than today. And I believe that God, as it says, there is an appointed time for man upon the earth. And God is the author of life and he makes no mistakes. And I believe that God has allowed you and me to live in this hour, this moment, this generation, this society because he believes full well in you and me that we are more effective at making a difference and making an internal impact in this hour than back then. It's fascinating. Would you join with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 14? We see here two men that even though all of the odds were against them, they still decided to go radically forward for God and be willing to give their lives even if it meant so. I find that testimony also in the book of Acts, and I just read it actually this morning in my devotions uh, about Paul and Barnabas and Silas and the others that were gathered together and how that they were going to encourage the churches on the second journey. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that these were men who hazarded their lives for the name of Jesus Christ. God give us a generation like that who are willing to go all out, not on the sidelines, but on the front lines. Someone who's willing to go all out and be willing to die so that others may live and so that Jesus can live through them. You know, I believe tonight that we will never effectively and thoroughly and radically live for Jesus Christ until we are first ready and willing to die for Jesus Christ. We sling around this term Christian. Don't call yourself a Christian unless you're living up to the name. We're saved by grace through faith and we are all the children of God. Call yourself that. We're believers. But do you realize that Christians, that was a name that was given to those who were, had a spirit of reckless abandonment going all out for Jesus Christ and they were being persecuted for what they believed and they rejoiced even in the midst of their persecution and they embraced this as a privilege. Why were they being persecuted? Not because they were just trying to be underneath the radar of culture. Or rather, they were standing up and they were sticking out and they were speaking up. 
And they were a generation who said, you know what? He is worthy. He must be exalted. If he is magnified and uplifted, he will draw all men to himself. And the Roman Empire and our heathen Judeo culture uh, that's filled with so much ritualism and occultic belief against the Messiah, they need Jesus Christ. And if we don't stand, if we don't stay after it, if we don't speak up, then who will? The responsibility is ours, whether we be many or few. And these noble Christians uh, these pe- noble people were called Christians. We see here now in 1 Samuel chapter number 14. Are you there? Would you say amen? It's been many years since the Lord has allowed me to preach from this text. My life verse is verse number 6. Well, we're going to begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass upon a day in 1 Samuel 14 verse number 1. That Jonathan, the son of Saul, this was the king of Israel, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. Heavenly Father, please help us now as we seek your face through this passage. We need a divine touch. And Holy Spirit of God, I am asking boldly yet humbly for unnatural and supernatural liberty and power. We're pleading for rent heavens tonight that you would grab a hold of every heart and sweep us off our feet, O God, into thy service, fully dedicated, fully resolved, fully committed to go forward no matter the cost, willing to give our lives for truth and for what's right. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, give us courage to stop playing the game of Christianity, but genuinely live out our faith and live up to the name. We look to thee now and help us As we glean from your word, that's why we're here, God. These people aren't here to listen to me. Father, I'm just but an earthen vessel. I know that. God, they need to hear from you. Please, would you speak through me? I ask for thy presence and power in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We find in chapter number 13 the stage being set. We find, notice in verse number 5 of 1 Samuel chapter number 13, And the Philistines gathered themselves together. Who were the Philistines? But the enemies of God coming against the people of God. A heathen culture that was coming against God's own. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. Sounds like a lot of people, doesn't it? Sounds like insurmountable odds, doesn't it? Sounds like a human impossibility to be able to gain the victory with all this inundation of evil and the agenda of these wicked ones that were coming against God's own. And the Bible says, as it continues, and they came up and pitched in Michmash, eastward of Beth-Haven, and when the men of Israel, verse number 6, saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. What did they do? They did the exact opposite of what they were supposed to do. Instead of standing up and defending their liberty, and instead of standing up and defending their homes and fighting for God and protecting and preserving what God had so wondrously and miraculously and graciously given unto them generations prior, they decided, I'm going to go find a hole in the ground and hide. 
I'm going to find a cave somewhere and cower away and pray, maybe, just maybe, when the scourge runs rampant across the land and everything is burnt to the ground and all the pillaging and the looting and all the stuff commences and when it's over, maybe, just maybe, I'll survive when it's all said and done. That is not how God's people should operate. Rather, if I could quote a verse that we quoted from last year, Philippians chapter number two, the Bible says that we are to be rather in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. I read this morning in my Bible devotions in the book of Jude where it said, earnestly contend for the faith. This is talking about someone who's not hiding somewhere, cowering away somewhere, but it's talking about someone who has a heart that's hot, passionate, ready to stand up for what they believe, and someone that is going to be courageous for Christ. May God give us courageous Christians once again. May our lives be consumed to not be sissies, but be soldiers. Uh, God is not looking for cupcakes for Christ, but courageous men and women and young people who will stand fearlessly upon the Bible and unashamedly preach the whole counsel of God's word without compromise and may God help us tonight to be that type of generation that as we sing onward Christian soldiers marching as to war because we are at war souls of men and women hang in the balance you take just five minutes and read the news or watch what's going on around us and you'll see that there is very much an agenda that is marching across this country to destroy everything this book stands for And where are God's people who will not back down and who will not hide themselves, who will not cower away? And as we mentioned to the men on Friday night, a generation that will not say, I'm just going to keep my head down and just try to make my money and live my life and hopefully just, just hopefully I'll be able to come through this and get through this thing unscathed. Just glide my way home to glory. No. But rather when we die, may hell itself hold a celebration service that we are no longer A soldier on the front lines. Because we were a part of a noble church that was done playing games and going through this motions of a patty cake, patty cake, mamby, pamby Christianity. Oh, how wonderful. Uh, Let's go ahead and sing onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war. And we'll rousingly sing it together. Hearts stirred, we'll air quote that. And then when it's all said and done, uh, Lord, I'm asking that you'll excuse me from this, that, and the other. And and I'm sorry about that. But, you know, things are just so busy and I, I just don't know if I'm up to it. God is burdening my heart as I even preach to you to be the man of God that I ought to be, that I need to be, that he deserves me to be. And this was the situation of the land. And the Philistines, the Bible says, if you read the rest of this chapter, were so adamantly convinced that they were going to win this whole thing that they already divided from among themselves uh, uh, regiments and companies of people that were going to spoil throughout the land. They were that confident. Could it be that there's agendas out there that are so confident they're going to win against the Bible and truth that they're just on standby to sweep in and snatch our children, our marriages, and the souls in our community? You better believe that we're at war. This was the situation of the hour. We can find, I believe, an application and a parallel even unto today concerning it. And now we arrive in verse number 1 of 1 Samuel 14 where the Bible says, And it came to pass upon a day 
that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, come, man, we can't sit around here. We can't be idle about this thing. Let us go over unto the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. The Bible says, but he told not his father. He was not looking for the approval of man. He knew what the will of God was for his life, and he was going to go do it. Because he realized that he had to be responsible for himself. The king himself didn't have the backbone to go forward as he ought to. Instead of making this a situation or an ordeal, he just silently withdrew himself to go to where he needed to be and be faithful. Notice in verse number two, the Bible says, And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah. Wow. Under a pomegranate. In the margin of my Bible, I, I put a little dash next to that word pomegranate tree. And I, I, I have this. He was pouting under a pomegranate. There he is just sitting, woe is me, and man, I, I don't know what to do. And all I know is that Saul and the men that were with him, the Bible says in verse number two, there was about 600 of them, uh, that they decided to go to the opposite place from where the invasion was happening. And they had this, well, we're going to be the last man standing, bless God. We're just going to go ahead and just root down right here, and hopefully when the battle comes, man, bless the Lord, we'll just, we'll just, just try to make some last defense, and, and here we go. All right, we're going to go forward for Jesus. What? Is that supposed to be the character of the church, the caliber of the church, the courage of God's people? No. And he decided to go sit somewhere underneath the tree in the opposite place of where the invasion was taking place. And may that not be true of us. May God help us tonight to be found fully faithful on the front lines, not on the backside of things. The Bible says, notice now in verse number four, between the passages by which Jonathan, Jonathan sought to go over into the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side. And a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sina. The forefront of the one was situate, um, uh, situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. You know, it's interesting. There's something that we can glean from this. This word Bozes here, this one sharp rock, uh, Bozes, was, means slippery. This other, Sina, means thorny. They were both sharp, the Bible says. Uh, one facing north, one facing south. And at the top of this whole thing was the opposition. I believe tonight that God is trying to teach us through this text that any time we seek to attempt to do something for God or try to go forward for God, there will be obstacles to overcome and even oppositions. Things in which on one side it'll be sharp and on the other uh, it'll be slippery, it will be thorny, the way is not going to be easy. And the Bible says, and we'll see it here in just a little while, in this text that these two men, when their minds were made up, their hearts were filled with resolve, they went forward for God, they climbed up on their hands and their feet and they went forward willing to get themselves dirty and in spite of the opposition or the obstacles that they had overcome, they were just going to do it anyway to experience victory. God give us those kind of men and women again. We want everything paved on a bed of flowers and ease. The Bible says, notice now verse number six, a verse that consumes my heart. It says, and Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor, come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. Why? It may be that the Lord will work for us. Jonathan did not know what was going to lie ahead. Here's just two guys against more people than the eye could count. 
people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude, the Bible said in 1 Samuel 13. And what in the world could two guys do against so many? But see, that fact was irrelevant to Jonathan and his armor bearer. They just knew that they needed to be where they ought to be, whether it cost them their lives or not. It may be that the Lord will work for us. He continued to say, and notice his heart was so stirred and resolved and confident in Christ. Uh, I don't know what God is going to do. He might do a work, uh, but that's okay. We're just going to be found faithful, standing and staying where we ought to be. He said this with courage. Why? For there is no restraint, there's no limit to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. We'll see more of that here in just a moment. But here's just some truths that you can jot down as we study this tonight, this passage of Scripture that God has burned in my heart here this afternoon. Here's this thought. You know, number one, no one is doing it, but we need to do it. I'm not trying to get us to be discouraged tonight and get this Elijah syndrome of like, I'm the only one standing, you know, and we forget that there are thousands more that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Journey with us across America and see all of the faithful churches across this land. And it's really just a scratch on the surface of people that are passionate in prayer, passionate in soul winning, passionate in the word of God, passionate with conviction, passionate with the hearts of surrender and a love for Jesus Christ. And you will get encouraged. Places and towns that people have no idea even exist. Even our own town. I mean, we got like 6,000 people. Are you kidding me? We live two blocks, we live as a family two blocks from cornfields, you know, and we're surrounded by towns, being the, cap, uh, the county seat, we're surrounded by towns that run two or three hundred at the most, 45 minutes away from any modern civilization, to be all honest with you. Right out there in the middle of the cornfields, a church that's running well into the 600s, a church that's on fire for God, a church that has a heart's desire to see souls saved and turn the world right side up, just like this church here. Churches all across this country, even if they are in the 50s or 60s or 150 or maybe just 20, it's wonderful. God is not limited by uh, numbers. God is able. There's no restraint to him to save by many people or by few. And if you could just journey with us, you could see how there are so many that are staying after it. But we do need to understand the context of this passage here. Jonathan and his armor bearer were the only two ones that were willing to stand. When everybody else hid in the ground or cowered away in some cave, the leader of the land, his own father, was pouting under a pomegranate tree, a woe-was-me mentality. I guess we'll make some sort of last desperate stand for Jesus. And he had only a measly 600 men that stayed faithful unto him. And the truth of the matter is, listen, we are not responsible for others. You are only accountable for yourself. What are you going to do in your life? And may we understand in this country, it seems that so much is running rampant. And yes, things are getting bleaker and darker, but no one is doing it appears but we need to do it here's another thought number two we need to do it but we can't do it this is getting gooder and gooder here more positive and more positive no one is doing it but we need to do it we need to do it but we can't do it They understood that. 
Come on, we got to stand up against these uncircumcised, against the garrison of these, these heathen people. Man, we, we got to do something. But notice Jonathan's heart in verse number six was centered not upon himself and what they attempted or were going to attempt to do, but rather it was centered on God. It may be that the Lord will work for us. They understood that they couldn't do it and how laughable this must have been. What are two guys going to do against so many? Sure, they could slay a handful before they would be overtaken, but to get victory over such a vast host? Ha! May the Lord help us tonight to understand this, that we need to do it, but as a church, we can't do it. I've said it multiple times this week in various services, especially with the young people in the college and with the men and things, the sooner that we come to the understanding that we cannot make a difference on our own, the better off we are. See, this church can't make a difference, but this church's God can make a difference. And this community needs this church's God. And as we yield ourselves as vessels unto him, God can give the increase and God will be able to do the work. He's looking for people who are just available and in their place where they're supposed to be. And that's exactly the story of what we find here in 1 Samuel chapter number 14. Tonight, because we have been blessed with so much, we really have as a church, do we consider ourselves to be okay and that God and his power is more of an accessory rather than an essential. We have a wonderful staff. We have beautiful facilities. We have various ministry engagements and opportunities and outreach programs, and praise the Lord for all of that. I'm not trying to be critical or mean or anything like that nasty tonight, but we don't need all that. We need Jesus. And all this stuff can't accomplish anything. Only God is the one who can do the work. And these two men understood that that they needed to do it. Somebody needed to stand. When the day was done, they couldn't accomplish the work on their own. Here's the third principle. Each of these dovetail together. Number one, no one is doing it, but we need to do it. Number two, we need to do it, but we can't do it. Number three, we can't do it, but God is able to do it. Praise God tonight as we preach this morning that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Isaiah 59, 1, I can't quote the verse enough. It encourages me. It's one of those verses that give me hope for national revival and for global evangelism and reaching the world for Christ. Uh, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. It's not too late for America. America is not too far gone out of the grasp and the reach and the length of God's loving, merciful hand tonight if we don't believe that to be true we've already let the devil win we've already let the enemy prevail I'll stop right here and mention something that my heart is greatly burdened about God has given us a great commission to charge the gates of hell and to reach the world and to preach the gospel to how many every all the world Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God would never commission the church. God would never call the believer to reach every single person. Stop and think of the magnitude of that. Eight billion? God would never call the Christian or commission the church to be engaged in a work that could not be accomplished 
through his presence and by his power. I believe, you can't persuade me of this because I believe God. I believe that it is humanly possible to give every single human being on the planet an opportunity to receive or reject Jesus Christ. What's the point of it all? If we can't. We know his heart. It's full of compassion, is it not, church? One text says he is not willing that any. He will fight tooth and nail. He will do everything he possibly can. He is not willing. He doesn't want to give it up. He doesn't want to let the devil get another soul. He doesn't want another loss to slip into the flames of hell for an eternity. He is not willing that any should perish. Rather, he's willing that all should come to repentance. He would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I do not believe in the heresy of Calvinism. That there is a limited atonement and that God died for an elect or a select few in which uh, they are predestined to heaven and others are predestined to hell. What a sadistic God you must believe in if you follow the heresy of Calvinism. It flies in the face of Bible doctrine. We see clearly that he shed his blood and he was a sacrifice as we preached on Thursday night once for all. And weighing scripture with scripture, we can see that in church tonight, we all bend together and say, no, 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 we don't believe in Calvinism. We are not professing Calvinists. We believe that he died for everyone. But could it be through our actions we are practicing Calvinists? Because our missions, giving and going, our evangelism and our outreach are selective at best. You know something that I thought of yesterday? If every single person, this is a principle I live by, wanting to give the gospel to at least one person every single day if I'm able to. And when I'm not able to go out because of, you know, just you know, not, not running errands or maybe just home, to double up that next day and make sure that you at least witness to at least, on average, one person a day. I always look for that. That's not public knowledge. I guess it's public knowledge now. <laughs> but if every single person did that in this room, how many do you think we have in here without the children? 200? 200 times 7 is 1,400 people that now have an opportunity to receive or reject Jesus as a result of the clarity of the gospel described on a church gospel tract that we've handed them. See, soul winning is not us leading someone to Christ. I believe that we come underneath this misunderstanding of what witnessing truly is. See, we can't save anybody. We call it soul winning, and and praise God for that, pulling them out of the fire. I read that this morning, and may we be engaged in seeking to win souls, but we don't save anybody. It's Jesus Christ who draws them with his loving kindness. It's the word of God that illuminates. It's the spirit of God that brings conviction of their need of the Savior, and it's the Lord that saves them. It's God that saves them. We just get to be a part of seeing this miracle happen, you know. It's a privilege to be a witness. It really is, church. 
The Bible says, and we preached out of the text last year in uh, Acts 26, verse number 18, it says that as we're engaged in this, we have the privilege of opening up their eyes and turning, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan and a God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. What a, what a glorious thing. Amen. I love how God describes that in his word. We have the privilege of being a part of this. And on average this week, this church could potentially reach 1,400 lost souls within a seven-day period. Somebody do the math. I did it this morning, and I'm like racking my brain. That's why I'm speaking slowly. Because like when you're preaching, there's so much going on. God is convicting you. Your mind is trying to think, how can I put the next word out and it makes sense? I'm dyslexic by nature, so a lot of times my mind is reversed how it should come out. So it's, it's a struggle to preach. At least it is for me. That's why I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit in my life. Somebody help me out. What is the math? Pull out your cell phone. Uh, Maybe you already have one out. I don't know. Uh, But go ahead and pull that out. What's the math? I did it this morning, but I can't remember. What's 1,400 times 52? Say it nice and loud for us. 72,800 people, just one a day. Times 10 years is three-quarter of a million souls. And that is just simply doing the nominal Just one a day, one track, one engagement, one reaching out, one touch spiritually of love. God wants to redeem and save the world. And as we think about the multitudes and the masses and how that right now there are still two billion human beings who have never once heard the name of Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is, it's not God's fault. He's done his part. It's my fault. And it's our fault. God puts it very plain in Romans chapter number 10, does he not? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what church? Shall be saved. But how? You tell me. You figure it out and you come to me and give me the explanation. That's what God means by that. (laughs) But how? (laughs) Explain it. How shall they call in him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not what church? Heard. And it's our responsibility for them to hear. He has given us that great commission to go forward. And the Bible says so soberingly and convictingly in that uh, questions, the series of questions that's being asked. Uh, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Someone that understands it's a job that needs to be done. Maybe nobody else is doing it. Maybe there's a multitude of others doing it. That's irrelevant. I know what God would have me to do. So we're going to stay faithful. I'm responsible and I accountable for my own life, I will individually stand before God, not corporately as a church. And could it be in this body tonight, even those who have joined us by way of live stream, could it be that we're expecting the entire work of the church to be done by a select few? I've seen it many times, and man, it, it aggravates me. i got to be careful, you know, because I can get in the flesh, and I, that grieves the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, We don't have time for that, to grieve the Holy Spirit. We need the anointing of God. And sometimes what happens, and I just become burdened, and I'm not trying to evaluate a church at all. I pray that you understand my heart, but sometimes going to churches and things, and and you see people coming forward to get saved. The baptistry water is being stirred. And there is a majority of the congregation at times 
where they're just sitting back and they're applauding. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And they didn't lift a cotton picking finger to get the work accomplished. Oh, yes, our church is evangelistic. <laughs> How wonderful. Yes. We're spiritually fat and lazy Christians trying to suck up the goodness of God and the preaching of God's word and doing nothing with it. God help us to be all in. We are many members that make one body. And Paul talked about that, said, you know, not everybody, we're not one big eyeball walking around. We're all made up of different parts and different members, and God has a place for you in this uh, teamwork, in this body, for the dream to work, so to speak. And listen, what is it? It's striving together for the sake of the gospel. It's preaching Christ, exalting Christ, uh, and exalting our Savior so that this lost world can know about Jesus. It's going forward as a team uh, to experience victory against the very onslaught of Satan. And by the way, I'm thankful that the local church is the only heaven-ordained institution that God has given that can stand against the very gates of hell and experience Experience victory. The only one. And it's beautiful throughout church history. Whether it was times of prosperity. Times of poverty. Times of peril. Times of persecution. Times of political upheaval. The church that was genuinely on fire for God always thrived see Pacific Baptist Church doesn't need America to fulfill the calling of God but America needs Pacific Baptist Church fulfilling her call of God because this church will survive without America but America will not survive without this church I know we've delineated some from the message. My heart is just oppressed. We find that this man is crying out, come and let us go forth. Let us go over. We cannot sit idly by. No one is doing it, but we need to do it. We need to do it, but you know what? We can't do this. We can't do it. Hold on, but God is able to do it. God is able to do it, number four, but he wants to use us to do it. He wants to use us to do it. May I ask a question tonight? And I genuinely mean this. And there's been wonderful spiritual victory this week. I believe that. Uh, you know, wonderful. Uh, several young people surrounding the lives of the Lord. A handful full-time ministry. Even last night, uh, pardon me, Friday. Even men just burden. You know what? I need to fully surrender to the cause of Jesus Christ. How about a church? Is everybody in this room fully committed and concentrated and consecrated, fully surrendered to the will of God and the work of God, and the word of God. This is something, it's a little harsh to say, I'm not trying to be mean, but is your existence in the body of Christ dead weight? Oh God, help us. Such a heavy statement and a harsh statement, not meant to be mean. Preaching should never be mean-spirited. But could it be that there are people in this room that God loves you? God wants to use you, every single one of us. I believe that. But your heart has not yet been yielded to the Lord in full commitment. 
Would you give your heart and your life and your body to Christ tonight? Would you be willing to stand like a Jonathan and his armor bearer, believing full well that God is able? And I love the beauty of verse number six where he says a statement that is now forever etched within the word of God in the black and white text of scripture. The principle uh, radiates off the page. There is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And even if we be few, he wants to use us and he will use us to make that difference. Only one was needed in the days of Ezekiel. Sought for a man. Someone who had a backbone that was going to stand up. Stand in the gap. The very place where the wickedness was pouring out and the very place where the judgment of God and the wrath was going to be pouring in, he was right there. Kind of like the testimony of Moses as he stood in the gap before the people of Israel that had hardened their heart and backslidden in the wilderness. Where God said, stand out of the way and get out of the way, Moses. I'm going to wipe these people off the face of the map and I'm going to restart with you. That's what God said in the book of Exodus. And Moses said, no, I will not move from my place. In a matter of speaking, Moses said, you will have to do it over my dead body and you will have to go through me first. You'll have to kill me if you're going to kill these people and judge these people. Where's that kind of radical faith? Well, I don't know about all that. Yeah, come on. God, I know we deserve judgment, but I'm going to stand here as an old-fashioned Baptist desiring you to pour out mercy as we preach to the young people. Habakkuk chapter number three, verse number two, very first service, launching out of the gate on Thursday morning. Oh God, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. He only needed 10. We all know this. 10. 10 what? 10 Christians that were just staying faithful. Sticking by this stuff, staying after it. In spite of all the carnality and the corruption and the give a rip spirit of the heathen culture about them. And they were living in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah. (laughs) And the world could care less about the things of God and blaspheme the name of Christ and laugh and ridicule the preaching and the testimony of truth. And God said, if I could just find ten people, I would have spared. You see those clouds of sulfur and of fire and brimstone that's brewing on the horizon and how it's affecting the very atmosphere itself to have that pungent smell and even bring a grittiness to the air and bring a yellow and orange hue to the day. I will literally cause those clouds to roll away and my judgment will not be poured out upon these heathen kingdoms. If you just found ten. I believe America deserves judgment. We've committed the grievous sins of slavery, vile sin that our forefathers didn't know how to get a handle on. Everybody else is doing it, so I guess we'll just go along with it too. But some of them knew that, I shouldn't do it, shouldn't do it. Even Jefferson, who was conflicted in this, made the statements about how that man, it's going to come to an apex at some point. How America entered a bloodbath through the Civil War. It's only by the grace of God that we came out to a time of reconciliation. 
when we should have become shattered and broken as a society. The grievous sin of slavery. We've committed the national sin of segregation. Who do you think you are? That you feel you're better than someone because your skin color is different. And nowadays, this has to be preached to both sides of the aisle. If there's a Black History Month, well, where's the White History Month? Well, you've had your time for too many centuries. If there is a, a black uh, label for all of this clothing in a certain section of the store, where are the white companies that you'll put in a store and highlight those products? See, it's hypocrisy from both sides of the aisle. And sometimes the people who are decrying racism are the ones who are actually promoting it themselves. And it is ungodly to be a racist. It's vile and it's filthy and it's wicked sin. Because as I mentioned to the guy, uh, let's see, I was getting my brakes fixed on Friday. All right, I, and I had to get the brakes and stuff like that. Anyway, I said to him behind the counter, I said, you know, we were just talking and things, and I said, you know, I was witnessing to him. Nobody else was there, and we were just talking. I said, you know, uh, the answer to America is Jesus Christ. I said, all this stuff with racism that's going on, you know, it's so sad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He, I said, you know, Jesus said uh, in John chapter number three, if he was lifted up, he would draw all men to himself. That's the answer, Jesus being uplifted. Genuinely being uplifted. Not your version of your Jesus lifted. But the Jesus of the Bible being lifted. Because there's people who believe Jesus and still practice racism. And their Christianity is not authentic and biblical. Because Acts, and we're way down to the weeds now, but Acts tells us very clearly that he has made all flesh of one blood. There is only one race, it's the human race. Why are there so many different colors of skin? Well, why are there so many different versions of a dog? I don't know. Cat or whatever in creation. I mean, how many types of lettuce are there out there? Are you kidding me? God likes diversity. Don't deny that. It's beautiful. And we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, Psalm 119, we're formed by the very fingers and hands of God. America deserves judgment. The sin of segregation. How about the sin of slaughtering the unborn? I rejoice in the overturn of Roe v. Wade, bringing that to a state level, but I am greatly concerned that if this decision that was made is overruled or overturned to go back to national slaughtering, we need to embrace the fact that judgment will fall. God sees it. And when it was in allowance, we were slaughtering three babies on average every single minute. Three babies every single minute, 60 seconds, that God with his own finger gave life and was forming. Literally ripping it out of the hands of the creator of the universe. And there is an agenda and there are adversaries out there that stand against life. 
Where are the people that will stand? Be passionate about the word of God. What about the sin of sodomy? Of encouraging young people if they have an inkling of a desire. Oh, a boy that's born. Oh, I, I actually think I'm a girl. I have more girl tendencies. Oh, that's good. And they're going to fan that flame and say, you know what? Why don't you go ahead and have surgery? Why don't you go ahead and do things so that you can appear to be a girl and become what you feel like you are in your heart? It's wrong. Girls that will become boys and all of this confusion. God is not the author of confusion. Down in the very encoding of your DNA, you cannot change how you were created or made. And even though you may look like a girl on the outside and talk like a girl and sound like a girl, if you were born a boy, you will always be a boy. And there's so many things, and this is just but a scratch on the surface, and may God help us tonight to no longer hide in some hole somewhere, cower away in some cave somewhere, but rather with hearts that are broken and bothered, hearts that burn, to say something's got to be done. It came to pass upon a day. Jonathan said, man, enough is enough. I've been sitting around for too long. I can't sit idly by anymore. It's time for me to transition from the idle to the active, to be engaged, to do something. It may cost me my life. It may cost me everything, but I'm going to do it anyway because I would rather stand being engaged in the will and work of God as God would have me to do it and die rather than sit with a majority and live. No one is doing it. But we need to do it. We need to do it but we can't do it. We can't do it. But God is able to do it. God is able to do it, but he wants to use us to do it. He wants to use us to do it. But are we willing to be the ones to do it? Just natural observations from the text. Thank God for Jonathan and his armor bearer. Verse number seven, and his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in thine heart, turn thee, and behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. This armor bearer is the perfect, beautiful picture of a faithful layman. See, Jonathan realized he couldn't do it without God, and he couldn't do it without his armor bearer. Why is this a pastor, and your pastor has this heart? I love your pastor. I have Myers actually in my bloodline. I wonder if we're related. Do you have any family in New York? Oh, okay. All right. I was just curious about that. I thought about that the other day because we have Myers on my mom's side. So my mom's mom's side. You never know. Could be like ultra distant cousins or something. Like where did that come from? What did I just hear? What was that? Your pastor has a love for Christ and a love for God. Your pastor has a heart. The pastoral staff, I believe, have a genuine hearts to see what God can do through this church. They realize they can't do it. They need God. And we need to work together. And as individuals, as a part of the body of Christ, we need men that will lead us into the front lines and into the fight so we can be engaged in this great work too. You know, I believe this armor bearer followed Jonathan because he loved Jonathan. How in the world would somebody follow a nut like this to go stand two guys against more people than the eye could count if he didn't love somebody? You know what? Forget about it. I'm gone. 
Go f- tell me how it works out when it's all said and done. He loved Jonathan. He was a layman of loyalty. I'll die with you in battle. Does your pastor have to wonder where you stand on things? Can I depend on him, her, that family? Do we have each other's backs? He has no agenda. The pastoral staff has no agenda, I presume. We just want to magnify Christ and see what God can do through our church to reach the world with the gospel. Are you a man, a woman, a family, young people that can be in the foxhole along with your pastor and your pastor doesn't have to look over his shoulder or wonder if you're shooting at him? Or if you've set down your rifle and you're not even shooting at all. He's got to worry about you shooting up into the sky at God. Now worried about bullets raining down on top of him from a stray that then falls back from gravity to the earth. Layman of loyalty. Layman of labor. There's that word, labor. Do all that is in thine heart. I'm going to do it with you. And the Bible says, notice, and we'll read the rest of the story and be through. In verse number 8, the Bible says, Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then will we stand still in our place, and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, Come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them in our hand, into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. We're going to be spirit-led in this decision. We know this is where we ought to be, but I'm not sure if God would have us to engage. Uh, the Lord may work for us, I'm not sure, but in that moment, he was sensitive. I believe that God will reveal himself, and he will give us the direction of what we ought to do, and this is going to be the sign. And verse number 11, the Bible says, And both of them discover themselves into the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. The world hasn't changed the tune. It's tune. Come on, let me show you a thing. We're going to show you a thing. That truth prevails. The Bible says here in our text, And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me in the Lord, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up, verse number 13, upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, a half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was a trembling in the host. Pause for a moment. Only 20 guys slaughtered. How pathetic, how laughable. That certainly made a difference and a dent. Yes, it did. Because that was the catalyst that God needed. Someone who was faithfully engaged in the field, fighting for what was right. And as a result of them being faithful, God showed up in a miraculous, supernatural way. And there was a trembling in the host in the field and among all the people the garrison and the spoilers they also trembled and the earth quaked so it was a very great trembling and as you continue to read through the text you'll find that as a result of Jonathan and his armor staying faithful doing what God had called them to do believing in God God brought great victory what's your excuse tonight do you have one May God shoot them down. Are you fully surrendered tonight? Are you tired of sitting by and watching the world and the devil run rampant? Are you ready to see what God can do? 
Are you in this thing legitimately and radically? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around, my wife coming to play the piano. Father, I pray that you please help us tonight to absorb these truths. Lord, you swept me off my feet concerning the message tonight and, and threw me into this text. I've preached from a broken heart and a burdened heart, Lord. I pray that these things have flowed as I've been sensitive to follow you through it. That you'll use this to help us, transform us. To be more fervent, more faithful as you gave us the admonition to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. God, I'm so encouraged. If you could bring victory back then and miracles back then and move in a supernatural way back then, you can do it today. Because the text is present tense. There is no restraint to, the, to you to save by many or by few. Heads up on eyes are closed. I wonder if there's one tonight who says, Brother Garraway, I haven't been doing what I ought to be doing, and God has convicted me about it. That's me. Would you raise your hand? That's you. All across the room, is that you? Would you be willing? Right now, there's phases and waves to this invitation. Phase number one, wave number one, if that's you, and you just raised your hand, without hesitation, would you stand? Would you come to the altar and do business with God even now, even now, even now? This is why you're coming forward. This is why you're coming forward. I haven't been doing what I should be doing, and God is, he's, he's burdened my heart about it. Is there someone tonight who would say, in this invitation, you may be already at the altar. If you're at the altar, just talk to the Lord concerning it, but the others that are still left in their seats. Is there someone who would say, Brother Garraway, I've been doing what I ought to be doing, but I've failed to embrace the fact that even though I'm active in what I should be doing, I cannot accomplish the work. I have been dependent on what I could do, and I have not been dependent upon the Lord as I ought to be. God has burdened me about this, and this needs to be dealt with in my life. Is that you? Would you raise your hand? Is that you? Is that you? Is that you? There are others. Would you come forward in this moment and seek the Lord right now, please? Maybe you can't kneel, but you can stand. You can sit on a front pew. Would you do business with God? I want to give you that opportunity. God has dealt with me about this. I've been doing it in my own strength or power. I've been doing what I ought to be doing, but I haven't been doing it the right way. I have not realized that I can't do it. I need God. Third question. With the Garraway, people are coming and going and doing business. I pray that there's a free and frank interchange with the Lord. We have dispelled any spirit of formalism. We're just a family seeking Christ tonight. Is there one who would say, Brother Garraway, I need to surrender or re-surrender my life to Jesus Christ. God has dealt with me about this. I need to get all in for Jesus. The Lord has broken my heart and burned my heart about that. That's me. Would you raise your hand? Is that you tonight? Is that you in this room? Is there one? Is there one? Would you do business with God? Final question. With the Garraway, I desire to see what God can do with this church. I want God to do something miraculous through us. And we will not sit or stand idly by, but we will be in our place where we ought to be, anticipating what God can do. Is that you tonight? Is that you? Would you raise your hand all across the room, many people? Would you stand to your feet? My wife is going to play. We've had a couple of different phases and waves of the invitation. I encourage you to come tonight as a church family. And even if you've already come, come again a second time. If you've not come yet, would you come forward? Even now, I encourage you to do so. Pray together as a church family. 
uh, praying together with your pastor and praying together, uh, desiring to see what God can do through us in a supernatural way in this generation. Would you come? Would you come? Did God deal with you? Has God worked in your heart? Would you seek the Lord all across this room? Onward, Christian soldiers, marching us to war. willing to be the ones to do it. This is a clear call all through Scripture to the point where God literally is begging. Do you realize God is begging you to be involved? I beseech you. <laughs> I'm on my hands and knees and I'm looking into your eyes and I'm longing for you to step forward. I beseech you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. You're willing to die. Reckless abandonment. All in for Jesus Christ. No matter the odds, unto victory.